All right, we are back, and this week we are Kobe Trice, real names, no gimmicks, and uh, unfortunately we are Sans Quinton this evening. Uh, the weather again, global climate catastrophe has thwarted us once more. Um, it's crazy because it feels like all that stuff is over, and we've had like this just weird summer that started here on the West Coast. So I've thought like all of this stuff was over. Um, because it's been like freezing cold in the mornings and cold at night, but I guess in the middle of the day, it gets very warm, but it's hard for me to notice that because I'm usually completely inside working for most of the, in like the middle of the day. So it's just felt like to me, I've been like, when's the summer going to start? But I guess really it has started, um, which I found out more this week because I've been off work, um, but it's still storming so badly that the power went out again for Quentin. So unfortunately, he's not here, but we are joined. We've got the fill-in, the Dragon Gate expert for this evening uh, by Eamon. Eamon, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm good. I'm good, Tim. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, big, big fan of the podcast, so I will do my best not to stink up the joint. Um, a little embarrassed. Um, you said I was the Dragon Gate expert. Uh, I thought I was here to talk about OTT Scrapper Mania. Um, you want to <laughs> okay, okay. dig into why uh, Trent Seven in Wolverhampton is good, actually, and not weird and eyebrow raising, uh, uh, and such yeah. bangers as Santino Morella and Sashimat Martina in the same match. But if you'd rather That's... talk about Dragon Gate instead, I'm more than happy to. I mean, I guess it's it's fair. Was there another Scrapper Mania more recently? I feel like we're months behind on uh, Scrapper Mania talk right now. I don't know. Uh, I I have no clue. I I, those people don't like me, and I don't like them. (laughs) That's that's very fair. Um, No, unfortunately, the closest thing to chat on that we could have would be uh, similarly. I saw the I saw I don't know how I saw like a random some wrestler that I probably still follow on Twitter who I still theoretically like enough posted something where it was like, oh, it was wild boar, right? Good guy, you know, friend of friend kind of thing Um, posted something. Oh, check out, you know, wild boar having a decent match on attack. And I was like, wait, attack is back. And then I looked it up and yeah, I see that. I see that same name, Trent Seven. And I'm like, oh, okay, so. Attack is not back as far as I'm concerned. Not interested. Thanks, though. Uh, it's not so, like yeah. New Japan. No, no, it's not. <laughs> not like New Japan, no. Um, but yeah, there's a, <laughs> there is a, a lot of fun there. Um, oh, Jesus. I haven't really, yeah, I haven't really thought about the <laughs> OTT at all. I, for, you know, they're, I, guess I don't they're think doing their jokes. stuff even like, goes up on pirate sites anymore. No, um, of course not. Yeah, which is I might very notice funny. It. I might notice it and intentionally skip it if that happened. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever. Um, no, I mean, I guess Dragon Gate expert is very funny to say. Um, but there is, uh, you know, the, the what is it? The match of the, oh, God, I don't even know what they call it. Like the greatest matches of all time podcast. Um, yeah, the must see matches, guys. Yeah. Must uh, matches, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You go on there as like a, a Dragon Gate uh, aficionado, it seems regularly. And uh, I know that you follow Dragon Gate. So we're kind of we're planning on having you on for Dragon Gate eventually. And then, you know, <laughs> I guess weeks turn to months and then we end up yeah. with like, ah, it makes sense to come on for Kobe World. I, I think the first time we started talking about me coming on was in like January. And yes. I remember I remember because I was I was in America visiting my girlfriend and we were like mid conversation and then the Jay Briscoe news broke. And so that oh, kind of yes. railed yeah. 
things for a while. And then it was just like, yeah. We live in different continents, so scheduling is is tricky, but I'm happy we were able to make this work. Um, right. I like to say I like to say okay. on must see matches, if uh, you need an Irish person to talk about Dragon Gate and Alan Farrell is not available, uh, <laughs> I am happy to be the next best option. Sure. Sure, that's fair. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anybody else on the count. Who else would be? Is there? Are you actually third in line for <laughs> Irish Dragon Gate? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, Sarah Farrell actually is probably ahead of Alan. So that's probably fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know, we'll get you on for for. We can get you on Impact uh, Watch too, so you can be behind Garrett, I guess. Um, oh, that's, I okay, think two that's weeks fine. in a row referencing Garrett. Um, but, Great. Uh, I'll, I'll- these Bully Ray Macardona matches. <laughs> yeah, you got to see uh, Bully Ray setting PCO on fire is the the hotness right now. Everyone's very excited about that. I'll um, watch these and um, I'll watch these Killer Kelly Masha Slamovich uh, segments and just say I'm watching it for the articles. <laughs> yes, for the plot. You're watching for the plot, as they say. Um, with the with Jordan Grace kind of leaving or whatever, I don't really know what's going on with their women's division. It feels like it kind of fell apart pretty much with one person leaving. So. Um, who knows about what's going on there? Um, yeah, I was oh, surprised because I because I saw her. I wasn't aware she had gone, and then yeah. it was only I saw her tweet like, "Oh, I leave, and you guys start doing this stuff." So I don't know. Right. Maybe it's like she just wants to be more freelance, or she's getting more into like bodybuilding because the the transformation she's gone through is wild. Yeah, I mean, I saw her kind of say the opposite that she's not going to be doing as much bodybuilding anymore. So it's mm. just like the going freelance. Maybe it's testing the waters to see if she could get an AEW signing because that's the only thing that would make sense, really. I couldn't imagine yeah. seeing her in WWE yeah. if I'm being perfectly honest, especially right now with the hiring freeze. It um, would be it would be very funny if she got signed by AEW and did really well after how things went with Gresham. Oh, of course, but I mean that would be, be the... that would be so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, AEW is already doing the, uh, they're doing kind of the reverse of most other wrestling promotions where they bring in the women and then hi- hire their loser boyfriends with uh, Taya and uh, and Johnny TV. So, I mean, they could do the same thing. They get Jordan and she does so well that they're like, hey, we'll bring in, uh, we'll bring Gresham back, whatever. The um, What's his name is gone. Oh God, why well, can't think of him? Uh, the uh, the European, I think he was a, a boxer or something that just completely eager. Yeah, Anthony Agogo by calling him uh, Little Bill. He's gone. Oh, so that was so he, great. He does not have to worry yeah, about that anymore. He, what happened to him? Because he wrestled and he had like a match in progress. Like yes. two years That's ago? what happened to him. That's what happened to him. He wrestled <laughs> in progress and then no one's able to talk about him anymore. That's how it works. Yeah, it's just it's just a black hole. Yeah. The only guy who's escaped in the past few years is Drilla Maloney, you know? Mm-hmm. I, it's so weird to me seeing people so hyped up about him in New Japan. I yes. saw I saw Maloney in like 2018 or 2019 at a at a Fight Club Pro show, and people were like chanting his name, and I thought it was ironic. I was like, sure. "Oh, this is a funny bit." Everyone's cheering for this guy who's not really great, and then I was like, "Oh no, everyone actually likes him." Um, but he was just the the perfect Eurograps guy. I mean, I you know I was higher on him than maybe a lot of people, but just the perfect Eurograps guy in the like, if you stick around long enough, you're just you just get over with those crowds. Like as long as they see you enough times, they just like they just start to like you. That's it. You know, and he seemed so like he'd be nice to have a drink with. 
that goes a long way with European wrestling fans. Right. I mean, of course, yes. But, you know, he was decent, I thought, early on. He developed into something pretty good with a decent aura and all that. But, yeah, I mean, I talked about it with him in uh, in the Best of the Super Juniors and all that. I think he's a, a perfect guy to fit in there for what they're going to do with him. I didn't expect, actually, what they ended up doing with him here, which is having him be part of the junior tag team for the, you know, uh, Bullet Club la dojo team you know but i guess it it works him and connor's works work fine together so yeah i mean good for him but i mean when you said you saw him at a fight club pro i was almost thinking you were gonna say you saw him at uh at that uh that promotion that will osprey started the second one that was oh, like jesus no even... the front line was that it <laughs> yeah front or... line. Yeah. yeah, I think that was it. It was like, oh, that would be great if you had went to the, no, <laughs> the, fa- I... the second failed Osprey promotion that had like two shows or something. Uh, uh, yeah. Like Guantanamo Bay would not be able to get me to admit to going to that. Um, <laughs> sure. Which is like um, the old time, maybe the old time Osprey moment, the big brain Osprey moment when he announced that promotion. And sure. it was like in his, his big statement blaming all the Lucha stuff on, on Ryan's smile and then ended it with by the way, I am setting up another promotion and we're going to book yeah. Keno. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they did the um, whichever one of the London riots uh, wasn't cancelled against Ishii in like a, a, a mirror match where it's like the just the terrible clone version. That was a lot of fun too. Because um, yeah, the guy was, the, the, the London riot guy was just completely like doing cosplay of Ishii and then wrestling him. Um, I believe like we've got it, we've got an Ishii at home. The Ishii at yeah, home. Exactly. Being, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what where, where where he is on that. But uh, but yeah, that you know, I mean, whatever. Like this is obviously we're on a tangent again. But that frontline thing and the logo looking so much like Toriumon and like the vibe of it and everything and the people. It's just like it's so fucking sad that like Osprey Osprey at that time was a New Japan contracted wrestler. But I'm um, you know contract whatever. It's it's a little loose in Japan, obviously, with how the contracts work. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, but like that, he's still doing the like, I want to be a Dragon Gate wrestler kind of thing, you know, like because that was what he grew up caring about, because, as a lot of British kids did, clearly, because it just makes me think about like another guy. And this is what I was going to talk about a little bit with you in, in Chris Brooks, right? Team Lycos. They were pretty obvious and talked about, like, what do they call them? Team Lycos. I guess I was thinking of Lycos Gym, which is what they're called now. But uh, the CCK. CCK talked about pretty openly that they wanted to be a Dragon Gate team. They stole Dragon Gate spots. They love Dragon Gate. But once Chris Brooks was in Japan and over in DDT, you don't hear him talking about how he still wishes he was a Dragon Gate wrestler. But Osprey doesn't even have the fucking sense to be like, I'm in the biggest company in Japan. Why am I doing tribute act to like the third biggest company in the in the in the country? Like Chris Brooks, you could say he's in a smaller company than Dragon Gate, and he's even smart enough to be like, no, no, I'm just happy to be in Dragon Gate, and I'll wrestle all the weird little satellite promotions, and I'll do my own thing. But I'm not going to keep talking about how I wish I was in Dragon Gate. Yeah, Chris Brooks. Chris Brooks is very good at like not losing the bag once he has it. You know. Yes, exactly. Osprey could like burn the bridge at any moment and like not even realize he's holding matches. No, he's like he's yeah, he somehow does it on accident. It's it's incredible how bad he is at any kind of public relations. But this was not the point. Um, As I did mention, I did want to bring up Chris Brooks a little bit here because he does have coming up his finally getting his big title shot. I don't know if you follow DDT at all. 
Um, but he won the uh, King of DDT. Very, very but, sporadically. I, I did stick my head in for the King of DDT show, uh, the the main event, because I, I heard you guys talking about it. I saw Joseph tweeting about it, and I was like, oh, right, yeah, I haven't seen Brooks in a while. And it was it was nice to see him again and like see how much he's developed in the last few years. Yeah, it was uh, it was solid, and they're presenting him pretty strongly. He's uh, he's moving forward, and I just I noticed okay, he just dropped the um, the tag team titles that he was holding with uh, with Takanashi, uh, the uh, the Chaco Pro titles, I think is what he had, um, relatively recently, and it just seems like they're presenting him more serious in the context of uh, of DDT, and I just thought, oh God, what are the chances that they um, they actually have him? <laughs> win the title like that they go for uh they go for him it's not, beating it's not crazy right um yeah it's not uh it's not the craziest thing um and it is kind of like you have the setup that he beat higuchi in the final so you could go back to a title match with him and higuchi um that higuchi needs to overcome brooks to win the title back and then you still have Kino looming over so it's kind of one of those like uh musical chair numbers where they're like switching stuff all around so you still have drama between guys and not just going straight back to the the big win you know um because they could build for a while to make a Hino Higuchi match yeah. another big thing I was going to say as someone who is like obviously follows DDT like much more closely than I do do you think you'd like that or do you think that's something you'd be into is seeing Brooks as champ um, as like a transition there and like kind of being a, you know, thank you for being like our top foreigner for a long time. I guess it's fine. Um, I think that as you, as you saw in that final match for the King of DDT, he was able to turn it up and be like a serious, a serious guy for that. So I think that he actually could be able to pull it off as much as you need to in DDT. So yeah, I think it would be fine. I, I do think that it, it unfortunately would have a lot of stigma to where like people who don't follow and don't watch would just kind of laugh it off. I think you'd have you'd probably have people laugh it off and be like, oh, like the mid card, like UK guy is is their champ, and then you'd also have people probably, like, oh well, he's not Kenny Omega, so he's like a, the worst like DDT foreigner. I feel like you'd right. have some people just be like, oh, DDT's fallen off. They used to have Kenny, which was dumb, right. but. I feel like that would happen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So it is tough because it's like in the world of DDT, I think it works. But uh, in the context of of the larger larger audience who doesn't watch DDT, it doesn't work, unfortunately. So, but I guess you book for your fans, right? And that's kind of one thing that DDT always does well is that they book for who's popular and who their fans like, and they don't really worry as much about trying to impress everybody else. Um, sometimes in a way that upsets me because i wish that they did work a little bit harder <laughs> at like doing wrestling that i like a hundred percent of it but they got to keep pushing pheromones and all that stuff because it's popular um either way uh you mentioned checking out this gleet second anniversary show um yeah i did um and i, I would say that... feel free to kind of talk about what you want to talk about on this and because uh, i watched it but i don't have a lot of thoughts if i'm being perfectly honest no, that's fine. I just I watched it more just out of, out of curiosity, really, because I always feel like I should watch more Gleef, and I I just don't. Um, sure. I, and and it's it's dumb because it's like all well, their shows are on YouTube for free. Um, 
so you know however they make money i'm not you know who knows apart from Ledette, obviously like funny things but i really enjoyed it it was like a really fun variety show i felt like i got a lot of like different little bits of things uh watching it like you had an like the all-star trios team uh you had that you had your uwfi stuff you had like quiet storm doing white boy lucha um so there was like a nice nice mix definitely um i would really strongly recommend the hayato ito uh title match that's the main event it's less yeah. than two minutes and it's it's like match of the year list stuff like it's i don't think it wouldn't be my number one but i think it might be in my 10 um hayato just looks like the coolest wrestler in the world right now i think um yeah monster and mean and that i think that match is great and there's a lot of other stuff on the card that's really fun as well yeah um when you say the all-star trio do you mean uh miyahara lindemann and and yeah yeah i saw them and i was like oh like it's a shame like probably for the best jacaro's not around anymore but these are my new king of trios i would i would watch and then watching them together like they're like fun little character interactions where they're all trying to do like kento's poses and things and he starts like slapping lindemann on the head and then at the end when like lindemann and see uh are doing like suplex combos and things it's like oh right Seahash and lindemann actually fit really well as a team and then you've got kind of kento giving like a little bit of extra star presence um so i thought the three of them worked really well together it's 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 very like fire pro random in terms of a team, but I would I think it would be fun to see them again at some point. Um, and I think that's kind of the appeal of Gleet is that it feels like a part of like it being such a variety show that it feels like anyone could show up. Like, all right, maybe Shingo was going to be on this one, or maybe Bandito was going to be on this one, or Kota Ibushi is going to be on one. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is which is wild. His first i think his first show in japan is going to be glee yes um the god bless the pockets of ledette um is what, is what i'll say i i don't think it there, i think he already has a matchbook but i would love to see him and uh hayato i think that is the the match in glee i would really love to see oh yeah yeah and i think i did hear someone say that that the show that uh ibushi's on hayato is already uh booked for i think that that's also and maybe they also have a match booked i would assume but i think that that's also a match where shima is actually wrestling from what i heard as well or that's the show where shima is going to actually wrestle um i don't know that he has something announced the real bummer would be that they just do like t-hawk and abushi because like i don't know unfortunately like that match did not do it for me and uh and you know i hear people saying t-hawk is like kind of doing the best work of his career and i just think that that's like a joke really compared to how good he was at different points before um but the trios that you were just talking about yeah i absolutely agreed with everything you said there and then the other standout for me was uh was utani on the uh black generation international team i mean god that guy is like fantastic tall has like presence he felt like if kenta grew up really into like jrpgs instead of like (laughs) hip-hop was the vibe i got from him but it really worked I I thought he ruled. Yeah, he's absolutely fantastic, and being like athlete, how athletic he is with his side. I mean, he's a guy who feels like he's got to get scooped up, you know. But I mean, that's partially something we'll talk about with uh, 
with Dragon Gate um, in that, like, you know, scooped up. What does scooped up mean right now with uh, with the money situation in wrestling in Japan when you've got a guy like that who is affiliated with uh, the black generation here and has spent time in Mexico that, like, are you better off trying to wrestle in North America as a Japanese wrestler right now because you're making so much more money? Um, so, yeah, it is kind of like, oh, God, he would I think he would do so much better if instead of, you know, I, you know, I like uh, uh, I like Kento a lot. Obviously, here he looks great. Um, Jake Lee in Noah, you know, is disappointing. And then uh, someone like uh, like, oh, God, what, what am I blanking on here? Like Kaito Kiyomiya, like and the seemingly tease that he's going to be showing up in New Japan more and more. It's like. Not to say like. Kiyomiya, I think, is the best bet out of those three, really. But, like, I think I would go with the kind of Utani, young, has something there guy that you can build in, in your mold first before I would try to pick any of those other three guys who have already got a bit of, like, a, a stink on them from having... I mean, me, Kento is a different story, right? He's just getting older. He doesn't have any failed ace thing. But at the same time, it's like his height was all Japan during a really poor time. So can you really say, like, oh, he's a top, top guy? Kind of not really, you know? But uh, but yeah, I just I, that's always been my take, though. I always say, like, you're better off going with a young guy who doesn't have a long track record of not being a top guy to get over rather than going for like trying to get over someone who's hasn't really been quite at the top yet. But uh, but yeah, I just think, geez, like this guy, not, you know, Gleet <laughs> maybe still has the money right now. But what's the long term? I guess just ride it out and see how it goes. Uh, and as you said, it's like it does feel like Gleet is a great place where none of the none of the uh the politics and the drama between promotions seems to matter <laughs> like anybody can just show up as you said and do whatever and it like ah, it's all smoothed over it's it's kind of like the same thing as the uh the, yeah, the, the sponge guy produce shows it is it's it's sponge guy it's like all the japanese companies are working with him in to some degree right he's the he's the, the sponge guy is the kingpin of yeah. japanese wrestling at the minute so yeah yeah, yeah he is booker of the year yeah. i guess but yeah, like I, I, I definitely think that's a good point, right? If I was a promotion, I would probably want to try and grab the younger guys for the for the most part, because like, yeah, agree. Like Miyahara is great, but I, I wonder how many like miles are on the road there in terms of his body, as well. And then like, if you were bringing him somewhere completely fresh where he didn't maybe have the same cachet with fans, like part of the reason he looks like such a star is because he's been in old japan for so long and held things together that like he's thought of very highly by those fans um which i think like you know which makes sense he's the ace so you know if you were to take him into somewhere else maybe he'd like not all of that goodwill carries over right um, speaking speaking of old japan just quick did you see that one guy get knocked out on the old japan show last weekend uh i don't believe so this is not ringing a bell i may have but i don't remember was fucking nuts. What was uh, it? Uh, oh god, let me try and check his name. But okay. it was. Do you remember a couple of years ago when uh, Shun Skywalker knocked out Ben K? Yeah, and and everyone was like, didn't know what to do for a couple of minutes. Yes. All right, this this went on like three times as long. Oh jeez. Uh, and it was like an old Japan, and obviously they're not the the biggest promotion in the world, but. Uh, you'd expect them to have like medical staff near the ring, 
Um, but it was if the, if it happened in a, like the West, I, people would lose their minds. But oh, he sure. got like this this one wrestler gets like knocked out on the apron, like falls flat onto the ground. The ref comes like starts counting him out, then stops, goes over to him, <laughs> uh, waves his hand in front of his face, and slaps him a few times. Oh, uh, good. I think just to check and make sure he's breathing, and then starts counting him again. Uh, then it's a, it's a tag match, so like the partners come up, and eventually they roll him back into the ring. Don't do a pin. They and he's he's completely limp. Has like over five minutes or whatever has gone by, and he's not reacting, um, or moving at all. They lift him back up so that one of the opponents can give him a, like a, a rolling elbow as a finish, and so they hit oh, him Jesus in the head again. God. Oh my god. <laughs> Come on! Where's the safety police on this, right? Oh yeah, uh, Ryuki Honda. That, oh, that's how got it. yeah, yeah. Um, that's bad. It was, it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Because like I'm in terms of, like safety police stuff, I'm always much more you know, like shit will happen, right? It's wrestling, sure. so it, but it's what matters is what what's the standards and practices when things do go wrong, rather than just hoping they won't. Yeah. Uh, like, like I think, like there was a lot of talk about the Tiger Driver incident with Kenny and Osprey, but I think the the thing that should have been talked about more was Danielson wrestling with a broken arm, and right. should he allowed to do that, and should that even be his decision to make? Um, and this is like a, a kind of similar thing, right? Like people will get knocked out in wrestling matches, but it is crazy to continue the match. It's crazy to continue. It's crazy to risk a second concussive blow immediately afterwards because that's where real damage starts to, you know, happen. There, it's it's yeah, crazy they, to. They like drop him on the ground, like moving yeah. him around. It's oh yeah, it was, that's it another was... one. Just like moving someone who's just had some kind of trauma to the head and neck area. You never know what you're risking there. Like Jesus, like yeah, it's just. That's absolutely insane. I mean, yeah. And and then you talk about the Danielson thing. I I get it. I agree with you. It's just tough because you don't have x-ray vision, you know? So he's the only one in that moment who can say how injured he is, how whatever. And if he chooses to keep it to himself, that's a different story. As opposed to like a knockout where the effects you are noticeable, you can tell that someone's unconscious. Um, and the Kenny, that's, you know, Osprey yeah, thing and the Tiger that's, Driver. That's is just, true. That's, that's yeah. true. Like, you don't know in the moment how bad something is. Um, right. And the Tiger Driver thing, it's like you have no idea as well. Like, I've, I like to talk about it. I have talked about it many times, as you probably know. Like, you don't know. You just, you really don't know. And, like, the stuff can look as sick as you want. But people love to freak out. But, like, when you really look at it, out of the context of, like, ooh, this is wrestling and it's high drama and everything, like, he's really only dropping from like half a foot at most <laughs> like from where his head is to the mat is not a big space you don't assume that osprey is truly driving with all of his force down to push kenny's neck and head into the canvas as hard as possible and then the canvas nowadays is a lot softer like it actually has some padding to it so he's not just falling directly on the ground like i get it that in the context of wrestling you go oh that looks so crazy and it looks nuts and everything but like you have to also remember that this is real life and these are real people and like if you fell onto your head from like <laughs> seven inches off the ground you wouldn't be like freaking out thinking you're gonna die you know and i just i think that people lose sight of of reality sometimes in the moment of wrestling um yeah but, no uh, you're you're totally right like i like i i've said it before i i'm 
I'm not a wrestler. I did I did a whole one day of wrestling training, and was like, I'm I'm good enough, thanks. I'm decided I'm too handsome to get hit in the face. Um, so like, I don't I don't feel for the most part I can judge really what's dangerous and what's not. You know, yeah. Maybe if something is real bad, sure, but if it's a particularly egregious, but broadly speaking, as a fan, I don't feel like I. Um, like qualified enough to entirely judge if something is safe or not safe, and you don't know what people agreed to beforehand as well. Like, if they both said beforehand, "Hey, like, let's do this spot," you know, kind of go with God at that point, right? And if they figured out a way to make it work, like, good, good on them. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. It, it it feels like it can be presumptuous from fans sometimes to assume things are particularly dangerous um and i don't mean that in a way to like down talk people who like you know talk about wanting wrestling to be safer um because i i feel like sometimes those people get very dismissed and i i do think it's fair to say like okay i would like wrestlers to get injured less or have longer careers um like there's a there's that meme about video games which is like i want worse about like crunch culture and it's like i want vi- worse video games that have worse graphics that take longer to make uh, oh, yeah. by, by people who like want have better working conditions and i think a little bit of that applies here where it's like oh um you, you might say like well i'd like things to be somewhat better for wrestlers um and i'd like them to not get injured as much or be a bit more protected but Maybe at that point you start getting into like union talk, right? Of like, okay, well, what is the best system to protect wrestlers? And it's like, well, probably a union so they can agree on like working conditions. And I think we're still a very long way from unionization for wrestling. So, yeah, I mean, wrestling is such a particular thing that it's very hard to even say because a union would protect a lot of, you know, the labor rights, workers' rights side of things, but wouldn't necessarily be able to force you to not again like go back to what i said about danielson to stop someone like danielson from doing that you just don't have the same ability i mean you could say okay the similarly like to my work or to you know anyone's work who has a union like if you if you're caught working off the clock if you aren't taking your breaks if you're this and that you can actually get penalized you could say something like that like oh danielson chooses to work through an injury and he clearly made a conscious choice to do it like he's going to get penalized. I don't think a lot of people are going to argue that that's what they want though. You know what I mean? Like, as you're talking about the people who are saying like, Oh, they need better treatment and the, and the, the wrestlers deserve like better. I don't think that their, their first argument is going to be like, yeah, sure. Like we should definitely find them. We should find someone like Brian Danielson for wrestling while injured rather than, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, again, that's yeah. the only way to stop something like that. And I don't think people are going to really say like, yeah, let's do that. Cause it's again, it's their choice. Now, and, adopt, like, and, hey. and, what might happen, and and then people might just like hide injuries, right? Which which is even worse. Again, right? They're like, well, I don't want to get fined, so I'm not going to mention right. that I'm injured. Yeah, and uh, and again, it'll be it, it's so tough to argue because okay, the biggest protection. <laughs> Good job, Eamon. You're really getting me off the off the the thing. Here. <laughs> the biggest thing you'd look at to protect would to say like, okay. Um, some kind of protection that says like if you do take time off if you don't wrestle as much your spot is protected this and that but because again it's like so uh it's 
it's like up for interpretation, this and that, like, it's the same thing as like trying to uh, equalize pay in the workplace for men and women. It's like, okay, well, a big, what they found looking at it is a, a big reason why women make less, especially in America is taking time off to have children. So it's kind of hard to, to normalize for that because you're, you're literally out of it. So you could do something similar in wrestling where you say, okay, like you're not being punished because you took time off for being injured, but because this is an industry that's based on crowd reactions, it's like, oh, you took the time off. And when you came back, the crowd isn't reacting to you as well. So we can't justify having you just in the same position still. And it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you took time off. It has to do with the way that the crowds reacted and that kind of stuff then becomes like, okay, how do you mediate that? How do you, you know, how do you actually like <laughs> adjust and say you're not allowed to do that? It's, it's, it's very difficult. And then it turns into a, a whole headache to to come up with these kind of protections the video game thing to me is also goofy because it's like no i don't want the games to be worse i just want the people who work on it to not be stressed so that just really means more money put into the production that means the product probably costing more and that means you know more labor being put into it all that kind of stuff it's like we don't need to say oh let's make the games worse what we need to say is like no the the workers just need to get paid better and there needs to be more of them yeah um, like the like i think like a lot of that video game stuff is like i don't like i don't think it's like i think it's probably more like mismanagement is like your bigger causes there right like if, even if there is enough people and enough money the the way it is managed and the deadlines those people are put under um like that's like the more of a root cause i i would speculate right i you hear a lot about like horror stories about like the people that worked on like gta or red dead and like those companies have like endless money pretty much um but yeah. you know it's not they want it you know they want something perfect they want it like to meet like particular deadlines or windows or whatever like it's it was a big revelation when the zelda guys were like we're gonna we're gonna delay the game actually to make it better um but you know that's that doesn't seem to be the norm and who knows what the working conditions for the nintendo guys were like right. um and yeah. it, I mean, video game design is one of those ones. It's <laughs> to say something that means something to about a half dozen people. Uh, uh, it's a with a, a vanity promotion. A lot of the video game development, and that's where a big part of the issue becomes, is that people, same as wrestling, uh, are doing it because they feel fulfilled by having this career and working in something that they want to. They've wanted to their whole lives, so they're a lot easier to take advantage of because of that. So you do end up with that situation where you like. The people who are working on the video games are willing to accept lower pay, worse conditions because they feel a connection to it and they feel some kind of like clout from being someone who made this video game that becomes very popular and management takes advantage of them that way. And that's another one where just like with the wrestling stuff, it's really hard to to get that out of there and normalize these things with contracts and stuff because people are going to continue to choose. And the only way. Again, as I talked about penalizing the worker, like that's really the only way you can do it. You can penalize the boss and the worker. So the boss is more apt to kind of enforce the rules. Sure. But when it really comes down to it, when so much of it is the worker's choice to bend the rules and do things that they shouldn't be doing because they have this incentive and this desire to do it, then yeah, your only option is to actually penalize them for it. And then you're risking like people losing their jobs over it. And then now it's like, okay, well, I'm fine with that being again, someone who's worked union my entire life. I don't like it when I see my coworkers not following the contract and not getting what we deserve and kind of, you know, going ab above and beyond whatever, like doing things that are not uh, safe within the, the confines of what we should be doing at work because they're trying to 
you know, cut corners and things, but you know, a lot of other people who aren't used to these concepts are not going to like that if they hear like, oh, this worker lost his job because they wouldn't stop working off their break. You know, that's the kind of stuff where then people start getting upset. And wrestling is like such a weird like industry as well. That like, well, if I get fired for working too hard, I'm going to sell so many pro like shite merch on pro wrestling tees. And then like, I'll go to WWE as the guy that was like too tough for AEW or whatever. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's it's fucked in lots of ways. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I mentioned T Hawk and <laughs> Soma Watanabe not really doing it for me. It felt extremely long. T Hawk, um, I kind of noticed, and I've I thought of this before, but I don't know if I've ever said it. T Hawk kind of makes me think of like a like kind of like a young Roderick Strong, but just really really missing something that really made Roddy pop. But he just feels like he kind of has the same build, has the same wrestling style in a lot of ways. Um, and just does, is missing kind of the soul of it. So like Watanabe selling was fine, but this just felt like a lot of back and forth. And then the closing stretch just felt like there wasn't a lot of build. It was just T-Hawk doing a lot of moves over and over again. Um, I did mention it on the last episode where I like the way that the Danielson match, where it's like you just do stuff until it's over. Um, this is kind of the opposite, where it's like you just keep hitting the same big bombs over and over again until finally one of them works and there doesn't feel like there's any escalation to it. Yeah, the the Roddy comparison is is really good. It's it's like if if in some ways like Roddy didn't develop past like two thousand and five. Um, it's like if Roddy never got the fire from having those like the three matches with Danielson and Ring of Honor. Um, um, and like you know he has he has moments, but he's also yeah he is like a little dry and reserved. Um, and yeah, you don't quite get like the spark or the fire. Some some of the time. sometimes it's there like the he had that match with Lindemann last year the year before I thought it was really good um when he won the Wrestle One title I remember that being great and there's the some of the millennial stuff but broadly yeah. like T Hawk does seem like a guy who could do with a bit of a personality transplant um <laughs> yeah yeah it's a little a little like Sonata I suppose in a way right you see, sure. he's this really good looking guy who has loads of gifts um like physical gifts and you know um can do all these different things in the ring but it's like just fucking dry as shit but um you know still gets over with places and you know those those cheekbones of his go a long way is what i will say that's for sure yeah yeah uh then we get into the uwf and this is kind of where i think that i like everything it's all relatively quick uh the tag i think could maybe a little bit long for some people's taste but they're doing the time limit draw thing um but yeah, we get uh, Maya Fukuda uh, versus Azu- Azusa Inabe. Um, I don't know <clears throat> if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, it um, I, I liked both of the entrances, them doing like their like poses and katas. Uh, and, and I thought both of those went on for a little bit too long uh, during the entrances. But then when they, they got into it, like, I thought both of them came off really, really great. Um, it made me think like, oh, like there was that idea when AEW first started that they were going to bring in all these Joshi wrestlers and it would be the equivalent of WCW with the Luchadors. And I just had this thought in my head of imagine if this match happened on Dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> these two women just came out and just beat the dog piss out of each other. Right. Uh, oh, but no, I, I thought it was great. I thought, I thought it, it was really, really good. I it was yeah. another 
in the same way that I always think I should watch more Glee, this also made me think like I should watch more like JTO as well. Yeah, for sure. No, I and I definitely agree with you that. And now they had their own like kind of both were showing off like what makes this interesting to see. They both again beat the dog shit out of each other for like five minutes, just real quick. Um, really, yeah, really solid delivery there. Uh, tag team match the Sato and uh, uh, oh god, Aoki team just really impressive yeah. on paper to me. You know, I'm like, oh my god, like how is anybody gonna have any chance against these two? Like, fuck yeah. Um, Yoshida and and Izuka really brought it to like eventually kind of build up to their level and again make the time limit worth it, even though they didn't uh they didn't really ever seem to like get super dominant. Um, they just they basically were able to last the distance, which I thought was a really good way to tell that story because yeah, on paper it looked like okay, they're gonna just get absolutely demolished and that's gonna be it. Um, so I definitely appreciated that um storytelling that they did and kind of building on, but yeah, I mean, you know, just a really cool yeah. team and and I can definitely see people thinking like too long and maybe the 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 rookier team, the younger boy team didn't really earn the spot here, but I but I thought I appreciated it. It is definitely like when you're doing shoot style or shoot style adjacent stuff. I think shorter is, you know, the general rule of thumb, shorter the better. Um so I think it is an achievement, especially for younger wrestlers. If you're going out and doing like UWFI stuff for 20 minutes, I think that that's a big ask of anyone. So to even just like not drop the ball completely, I think like they should be proud of themselves for something like that. Yeah, for sure. And then the main event, you kind of mentioned it. Um, Takanori Ito versus uh, Junior Hayato. Um, Hayato has something really special right now. So putting the title on him, I thought was really smart. Um, not just his quality, but he has a connection to the fan base with his background story, you know, so that really adds to it. But uh, yeah, what were your thoughts on the main event here? You kind of already talked about it, but if you yeah, yeah, no, I, again, yeah, I, I thought it was great. Um, there is such an energy to Hayato at the minute. He's so just captivating and you can't take your eyes off him. Um, and like, he looked great in this match. Um, both guys did. Um, and it, I think Hayato is going to be on the Buden show happening this weekend, um, which I'm excited for. He had uh, some really great sequences with Mochizuki Jr. on the last one. So I'm hoping we get something like that again. Um, but yeah, I, again, like if people haven't seen that main event, if, if you listen to this podcast, I imagine you probably are at least open to watching shoot style wrestling. Um, and this was under 10 minutes. Just about so it's it's a very easy quick watch and it's it was one of the best things i've seen this year it was such an incredibly interesting dynamic to the match i mean it, you said like you're open to watching shoot style but you really don't see matches set up like this um as often you know and, and i talked about with with hayato just like feeling special right now um again because of not just i've always been a fan of him in ring but returning and then again, like the background story and the overcoming and all that. And then to 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 parlay that into this match, because Ito has felt like, okay, uh, this is kind of a guy that Gleet wants to build something around and they want to make him kind of a top star for them. So I really wouldn't have expected the title change. And then you do have Hayato just getting the shit knocked out of him and getting knocked down after flurries of strikes over and over again repeatedly to where it feels like, you know, like, okay, like this is weirdly like i just expect kind of hayato to get swarmed 
eventually he loses but you know this is like an underdog story that you can build forward but instead he like comes back and has some really good counters and grabs some holds out of nowhere and then kind of shows off that like he was able to make it through the storm um and he was kind of smirking and smiling every time he's getting back up which just seemed like okay what's going on because he keeps getting knocked down it's not like he's really showing anything but then he's able to so yeah he shows like okay whether the storm comes through pulls off the win and it's just like again really feel good story and then going from there as someone who can continue to maybe kind of repeat these these tropes over and over again in a way that uh the the crowd will get behind hopefully um but we'll see what they do because it's gleet so they could just change the title in his next match with the way that they book so who knows um they could just have him drop the title to abushi yeah his like grinning and smiling was was so cool um especially because it it felt like him being like oh okay yeah i know i can win this like i i've taken the best shots and like now it's my turn right and then he like goes around and he like yeah like wrecks him um right and, that, and it makes sense, right? Like, he overcame so much to get to this point in his real life. And now the match can mirror that in the sense that he's able to withstand and overcome a lot of things in matches because he is, he is like, in real life and in wrestling, showing his toughness. Um, yeah. And that makes something really compelling. Yeah, it's a perfect uh, perfect way to do that. Um, okay, DPW Tag Team Festival. Kind of a, we've kind of gone off track and talked about a bunch of other stuff. So unfortunately, we'll give this a little bit of short shrift. But uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess feel free to give your thoughts on the sh- the whole show and, and any matches that stand out or whatever. Yeah, I I liked pretty much everything on this show. Um, DPW is a promotion I don't watch as much as I should. Again, I. I really need to watch more wrestling in general, but it's, it's hard to fit it in these days. Um, but DPW, the main thing I usually stick my head in for with that promotion is like workhorsemen and violence is forever stuff. So like when you guys mentioned this show and it's a, it's a tournament show. And I think like one night tournament shows are always fun and interesting because you get better narrative threads. Um, and then the, like all the tournament matches, I, I really enjoyed to varying degrees. Um, I don't watch a lot of um, best bros. Uh, um, and I think that's probably for the best because I I enjoyed them a lot on the show. But I also think it's the type of thing I, I don't think I would want to watch it too much. You know, it's like getting like a nice treat. Yeah. Uh, uh, and like a nice little bit of flavor. Um, and I, you know, outside of the tournament, um, the women's tag I thought was good. I really enjoyed Lucky Ali and Mike Bailey. And then the the tournament finals were interesting. Um because uh, you've got this big like heated rivalry between Violences Forever and Workhorsemen. And it's it feels obvious that like that's who it should come down to. Um but then when you've got the other two teams in there and like Best Pros are doing a lot of comedy. It does end up feeling a little incongruent, I suppose, or um, a little like there's a couple of different matches happen- happening here at the same time, and it's all good, but maybe it doesn't all quite fit together. Um, because, like, again, I don't think any of the work was bad, but again, like to use a food analogy, um, this is like having like two great different meals, but you wouldn't necessarily put the flavors together. Um, a part of me was wondering, like, oh, would they do the the ECW thing of having the champs go out first? And, like, 
if you if it came down to like workhorsemen and best bros and you had like may facing off with jd drake or whatever i feel like the crowd would have gone would have gone crazy for that um but i, I yeah match itself though like and especially like the exchanges between uh violence is forever workhorsemen the arm selling from garini in this it was great um i think he might actually be injured i'm not sure but uh it looked great in the match anyway yeah, that's so. what I, I heard. He actually possibly got actually hurt here. It was kind of interesting because I think that this was taped before Forbidden Door, but came out obviously afterwards. And there was a lot of similarities there between Danielson and Garini. You've got the American Dragon and the Italian American Dragon kind of doing the same yeah. thing. I found that very, very interesting. Um, but yeah, I did think I saw somewhere that he might be he might be hurt somehow. But then I also think I saw an announcement, but it was, you know, it could be down the line a GCW match for them, too. So so we'll see. Um, uh, I'm sorry if I cut you off there, if you had any more that you want to no, say. No, I was going to ask, um, were there any of the opening tournament matches that particularly stood out to you? Oh, I mean, yeah. And I think part of it, too, plays into the, my thoughts on the final as well as I've been kind of high on above the rest um i think that they're actually a really really great tag team that nobody's nobody but me and joseph are talking about basically which seems to, to continuously happen um like just such a great tag team and them working basically like a southern tag structure on msp was really good my only issue was would just be like danger kid um selling and like that they didn't they did the, the thing where they kind of didn't work on the injury as much as they could have. Um, and that uh, kind of danger kid kind of like played up that his leg was hurt a bit more than probably made sense for spots. And then in other spots kind of blew it off or whatever. But otherwise I thought that they, the, the structure was done really well. Um, it was just kind of interesting to like have a, an injured knee, but it was funny because I just read a, you know, shout out to handwork review, Simon review of a, uh, of a match that was uh, like Schottenfreud versus Schottenfreude. It was uh, Thatcher and Brooks versus Aussie Open. And I was, um, I was reading that review as well. Yeah. And, you know, talking about Fletcher's injury and how it played into the match, but not really in a direct way like you would expect. And this was kind of similar in that regard. Um, so I did kind of wonder about that. But but yeah, that that match absolutely like killed it to me these two this this team above the rest have been really fucking good in dpw and to me as you talked about like the ecw thing in the final like having for sure knowing that you're going to get a new champion i was kind of looking at it and i was like i really think that the best move here is to take the title away from the workhorsemen and violence is forever and have just put the titles on above the rest in the main event it would have kind of been the shock it's also a team that really has shown that they could they could probably take the ball and run with it with how good they've been. Um, and it was just like really kind of looking at it and going like, oh, that's the, you know, and you can't like judge a match based on the booking that you would want. Cause then I was bummed when they went out first, obviously. And, and you talked about the best bros. They're a team that I've seen enough of, but don't love. I thought that they were actually really good throughout the tournament and really good in the main event. Um, you talked about it being too much comedy, but I almost even thought like they, they toned down the comedy pretty well in the, in the final um, for what they're usually do. Um, there's still just some like inherent goofiness to their act. So them being serious still has it is going to have some, but, but for the most part, they were more serious than they have been. So yeah, that was kind of my, my takeaway. I liked where it went, but again, like you said, it felt like it was definitely going to come down to work horsemen and violence is forever. 
and kind of in some ways it makes sense that in this in this way and with Garini looking like he got hurt to have the workhorsemen win the titles finally get the tag team titles and, and continue on with the storyline between them two but in my head I just I always like kind of doing a little bit of a swerve but one that makes sense and kind of just shocks the system a little bit and I just thought like, that would have been the perfect way to do it um so yeah that was kind of my my feeling coming out of it uh for the they, tournament so they, were, they already did like a big cage match as well between the two teams and it so it feels like there should be some other big blow off or maybe not even a blow off but like another yeah, big for sure. gimmick stipulation thing and i feel like you can't do dog you've already done the cage match and you probably can't do dog collar so soon after burst goes ftr right um so is an i quit the match the way to go here uh you could do like a submit or surrender kind of thing for sure um i think theoretically you'd want to do like in the cage again which i don't think they'd want to do so yeah i think you could go for i quit you could do maybe yeah like a hybrid kind of thing maybe do like the the yeah the knockout submission only kind of thing mm-hmm. um then do yeah like mma rules with the, with the background between anthony henry and garini and everything and you know just the way ku wrestles and stuff you do something like that um yeah, I don't know what they would want to do, but yeah, it does feel like, okay, now you need a big blow off. And that's why I even say get rid of the, the tag titles from them because you could do the big blow off match and not even have it be for the titles. And then you could they have don't another team. To. Yeah. Yeah. It's so you've already got like the two biggest indie teams in America. Um, right. So, like, if you're doing matches with those guys, maybe I guess, I mean, they already did an Iron Man match in like Black Label Pro a couple of years ago. Sure. Um, but maybe it's been long enough that they could do another one of those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could definitely pull that off. They could do something like that. They could do, I, I guess, a two out of three falls, you know, kind of thing, maybe with different stipulations, whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's tough to say, you know, what, what stipulations should they do and, or what kind of big blow off thing should they do? I mean, they could do like a loser leaves kind of thing, but they just kind of did that with Colby and then he was back in the title match, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of tough to want to repeat that. Um, yeah. I did want to talk about that as well, the title match, because you mentioned it, but I just absolutely thought that that was fantastic. I thought that the storyline and the finish I thought was perfect, um, just because it really played into like exactly what I was thinking. And I just thought it was so great the way they did it, because like Colby is running to get the shirt and he's he's you know putting it on and he's wasting all this time to put the referee shirt on and i was like why does it matter why is he putting so much effort into the shirt and then after the match when he counts the three and they tell him it doesn't matter he's not a ref he like points at the shirt he's like yeah but i had the shirt on and the referee is just like yeah that doesn't matter it doesn't matter that you're wearing the shirt i just thought it was so perfect because it really was exactly what i was thinking like why does he care about putting the shirt on so much and then like they're just like yeah why did you care about putting the shirt on it doesn't you're not a referee just because you put the shirt on um i just absolutely thought that was great and the match itself building up into that i thought was great um there was just there was little stuff too that i enjoyed because i i could kind of tell that they set something up and then it got messed around and lucky ali just seamlessly did not flinch and was able to adjust on a fly to to kind of make things work still and i just i absolutely adore lucky ali in a world where everyone's talking about mike bailey and how he you know he can have a great match with anyone which i don't necessarily even agree with like that he's this great match worker all the time like people are going to overlook this and just kind of not look at just how good lucky was that he actually made this match even better um than your average just like mike bailey match so Hopefully more and more people are noticing that, but, uh, but yeah, that was kind of a, 
my little diatribe on that because I know you mentioned it. Um, yeah, no, I would, I would, I would, I would just say, yeah, like one of my favorite Mike Bailey matches this year. Um, yeah, and that dude's had a lot of them, so it, like, I again, like, if people want to see like another good match, which also isn't too long, um, and even yeah, like the details where they say, oh, he's got like an enforcer's license, uh, for Carino. They like he does have a license to be here, but it's not a referee license. Yeah, yeah, but, exactly. Like, very specific. It's it's really great. Um, like grounding in in pro wrestling, like logic and thinking of like how this would work and how this should work in terms of the world building of pro wrestling. Um, so yeah, it was really good, and it's a good like dusty finish kind of thing, but. Yeah, it doesn't feel too cheap because it also makes logical sense. Um, I would also just like to mention uh, the idea of uh, Mike. Ba- you know, some people say Mike Bailey can have a good match with anyone. Uh, I sat through a nearly half hour uh, Car Noir Mike Bailey match <laughs> in WXW, uh, and it was so bad. Uh, WXW didn't have fans then for like two years. Now. Can I say it was it was related or not? Who knows? But that's the evidence. <laughs> yeah, I mean that does feel like proof right there. They turned off fans so much that they didn't want to come to shows anymore for two years. Um, they they killed the town for real. Um, jeez. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, and and again, as you talked about the world building, I love that this is just this is a step on the road to making the story make sense. As I mentioned, Carino lost a loser leaves town match. He's not allowed to wrestle in this company. You do this, and you know I always love it with the attention to detail that the only way you can come back is if the person who kicked you out says you know that you can come back. So this is just a, a step on the way of building to Lucky Ali, eventually you know finding some reason why he's got to he's got to have a match with Carino. He's got to kick his ass because of him pulling this shit and fucking with him, you know. Um, so and we'll just see where great, we end up with that. And it's a great way of showing that, like, as long as you do things well, it's. I think this show is a great example of having lots of different types of wrestling. Like, because you have this, which feels like really like old school, you know, okay, this guy's here and he's an enforcer and he lost the loser leaves town match. So he can't have a match and he needs the guy who got rid of him. Like it's very like, it does feel kind of like old school, but again, like we're saying, you've got like bang, or sorry, best bros doing like really fun comedy stuff as well. And you have all that happening together. And, then you got like the Joshi tag as well. Like it's, um, it's just this really fun mix on a show. It it was a really easy watch as well. Is what I would say. It was one of the easiest watches I've had this year. Yeah, I mean that's a good point, and it's similar to the stuff we were talking about with the Gleet, where you talked about it's a mix of a bunch of different stuff. It's easy and fun to watch. It all kind of makes sense in the universe of the show that you're watching. Even if some people I think get taken out by Gleet having UWFI rules and pro rules on the same show. Um, but I mean, that's the same thing as this, like having a Joshi match with the magical sugar rabbits doing poses and all this stuff in the middle of the match. It's like, it is, it could be feel really out of place on the same show where you have the work horsemen and violence is forever beating the shit out of each other, but it doesn't, it makes sense in the context of this world. So it, it works out. Um, but I mean, I mean, similarly in the main event here, we'll talk about Dragon Gate Kobe world. It's like another similar short matches, breezy, pretty easy to watch. Um, but I guess I'll just say my overall thoughts. Like, I love all that. We've talked about it recently on the show enough, I think, um, that having 
the undercard matches just nothing really overstates welcome everything stay relatively short really i would say there's only one match that i would say was too long and even that was kind of you would expect it to be long because it was kind of a showcase thing um it just kind of to me didn't deliver like it was hoping for um and it wasn't even necessarily overly long it just felt it um and then having the main event get the time and the drama for what it needs is kind of way more up my alley and definitely way more what I like. People who are kind of still brainwashed into wanting everything to be New Japan, Bushi Roadhouse style, and every match needs to be way too long, I think are just, they're missing the big picture and they're just not accepting like change. And this is how wrestling works. Stuff ebbs and flows and shorter, breezier, easier to watch matches is is kind of in vogue right now, or, or at least it should be where people are moving towards. But uh, yeah, what do you think about that and the watchability of the show overall yeah i would definitely agree especially with the way dragon gate wrestlers wrestle even if it has changed a bit in recent years um long like match length is not necessarily their friend um so i think a situation like this where most of the stuff is kept pretty short and obviously like the the practicality of it is they need that to be a little short so because so they have time to put up the cage because that takes like half an hour or whatever um but um yeah like obviously like there was maybe like one or two moments where it's like oh i i wish this had gone a little longer because i think these guys maybe have a better match in them um although the only thing i would say it was really disappointing was the i was disappointed by the keno mochizuki fuji kondo match um, because I, I saw that lineup and, you know, become a, I love Don Fuji a lot and I love Fuji Kondo. Um, but maybe that match was hurt as well by the scene change because originally it was supposed to be Congo against Mochi Fuji and then they swapped the partners around. Um, and it, it's funny talking about like short matches as well. Um, when the, the Shingo Stalker Ichikawa match went nearly six minutes. Um, which is longer than some of the other matches on the show. Um, which I thought was was funny. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and like, I don't know if I've ever seen a better like ass limb selling performance in a match than Shingo in that one. Um, it would make like Rick Rude taking like atomic drops like proud. Um, <laughs> that man yeah. got hit in the ass a lot, and he uh it was like Kawada esque the selling. Um. So yeah, like that was really fun. But yeah, no, overall, I thought this was like a pretty easy watch. Um, it sounded like there was the it's from what I've heard, right? It sounds like there's a lot of people there. Obviously, Hiromu was also on this show, so that was a big yes. deal. Um, I was a little disappointed by well, I don't know what I expected from the match, him and Yamato. Um, right. Because I I think they're both great wrestlers. Um. Uh, I think you know, obviously, Hiromu like has had a lot of injuries and he's maybe not what he used to be. Uh, Yamato, I think, is good but frustrating because in my head, it's like, oh, yeah, like early 2010s, heel Yamato rules. I think he's so super compelling as a wrestler, then, right? Like him and Doi and like, like Berserker or wherever, but um, babyface Ace Yamato. I don't think is nearly as good. Um, I was kind of straddling the line a little bit here because he had been healing it up on the, the All-Star Junior show beforehand. 
where he was like getting into Twitter fights with New Japan fans and then blocking them, um, which was very funny, um, calling them all like marks and stuff. Uh, <laughs> and then the like the match it's like the match he has with Hiromu, um, which is kind of the payoff. Again, it's it's good, but it, it felt a bit exhibitiony as well. Like when I think about my ideal vision of what a match between those two guys could be like, I think about the Hiromu Kushida matches, which were like seven minute long crazy sprints um of like Hiromu versus a technical guy, but the technical guy is really pissed off. Um something like that is what I would like an ideal world, like a more heated match. Um as it was though, like I, I thought this was fine. Again, exhibition y uh, I'm not shocked at all Hiromu won. I think a lot of people thought this would either Hiromu would win or this would be like a double DQ or a double count out or a, like a run in of some sort. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at least we didn't get that and we got a real finish. Um, I would really love to see them like do something together again. Um, because again, like I like, like with a lot of the pairings on the show, I think they might have a better match in them. Um, that was good. I so you know I thought that was fun. I really liked the triangle gate match. Uh, Minoru is a weird wrestler because he to me he runs so hot and cold. When he when he hits and he's on, he's it's like oh this dude rules. But then sometimes it's like the personality kind of a little bit like T Hawk, right? The personality disappears from him, and I mean he he can kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes. Uh, and obviously he had the push last year, which really bombed. Um, which probably still hurts him a bit. Um, so yeah, yeah, like I, I don't know, but it, I think you can get to an interesting thing with Menora, and maybe they were almost getting trying it last year, where it feels like you know they're very high on him and want to push him. Um, so it, it, like there's a threat he could win anything at any moment, sort of like how there there was with Reigns for a while in like the 2010s, where you knew in a meta yeah. sense. He was being very heavily pushed. So he could beat your favorite wrestler at any moment. Uh, no matter who he was against. He could beat anyone. Because it's like, well, he's Roman Reigns. You know? And he's the go- he's the new golden boy. Where And like, you know, Minora has a little bit of that to him, I think. Of like, the fans maybe, or to me at least, he feels like a threat in a meta sense, which then bleeds over into kayfabe. Of like, okay, IRL. He, he, it's like uh, the Bailey-Eva Marie match from NXT, where you watch that match and it's great, but it's with the meta knowledge that WWE would love to push Eva Marie. Um, right. So, so yeah, Kota Minora is the Eva Marie of uh, of Dragon That's Gate. Pretty fair. Is the, That's yeah. a pretty fair one. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, let me see. Okay, yeah, like, for that Triangle Gate match, like, I mean, it's so it's so weird to put so much on the um, the superficial nature of stuff, but it does kind of it really speaks to like, you know, Dragon Gate and gold class as a whole. Really, it's like Kota Minora, the haircut looks good, but like, would it kill him to tell Minorita? Like, if that's the whole gimmick is that he's the little version of him, shouldn't he have the same fucking haircut unless you're going to move away from that? Then it's like, OK, now what do you do with Minorita? Like just being completely different from uh Kota Minora, I just, I don't know. I don't know. You got Doi here. It, like, I think Jay said it on commentary, but Doi doesn't have gold class gear anymore, even though he was a member of gold class before he auctioned it off, they said. So it's like, okay, well, that he just looks so weird. Like, 
okay, I know that you had gold class gear because you were in this group before, like, you know, but you just don't have it. Um, so that's awkward. Um, and like part of the storyline was he didn't want to be in the team. Like he right, didn't want to be in the, the team. Rio Saito was like, well, we have you booked for the show. I think it would be cool. So I'm going to book you in the title match. So you're just doing it and then they win the titles and now he has to put up with it. Right. So, yeah. Um, and it is kind of like natural vibes. I mean, Big Boss looked great. Jackie looked great. Obviously, all of all of Natural Vibes looked great here, and it's just they're so good and such a well polished team that you're kind of like, okay, like what's going on? Because I keep hearing like teasing of people like thinking like, oh, they should break up. They need to mix up this group, and it's like, I mean, I don't really see why in any way, and I don't really get even taking the titles off of them. I guess you want to freshen things up and move things around. I think I also heard Jay mention something that this is like the first time that. Big Boss and KZ haven't had a championship in a very long time because they've had so many different titles and tag team titles and trios belts and all this stuff from different companies plus Dragon Gate for such a long time that this is the first time that they're both without a title in like a couple of years, um, which seems crazy, but it's probably true, um, especially for like Dragon Gate. So that, yeah, like, I mean, run in Amer- they had that run in America as well for yeah. a while there, wrestled like the SATs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, and there's like a. I think there was a Casey Anthony Henry match that absolutely rocked. Um, there was. Um, yeah. The maybe watch it on mute so you don't hear the commentary. But the match itself is great. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. That poor kid. That poor kid. He's just so whatever. You know, he's Good just. Luck. It's just not for him. It's just really. Maybe he'll get there someday, but at the moment, no. Um, yeah, I feel like I echo a lot of what. But yeah, the, I thought that the trios match before I move over. Um, I think the trios match. Yeah, like it. It speaks to like what? Are you, where are you going? What are you doing? with Kota Minora, Minorita, <laughs> like having the mini title from Minorita again. I'm just like, it just it really that. does feel like. <laughs> I love the mini title from Minorita. I think that's such a funny bit. I like it. I'm just, but I'm just like, again, I'm like, well, well where are you going? Like, are is the plan to just stick with this? Like, you know, like, I guess it is, but yeah, then he needs to, he needs to get on the same page. I mean, if he's going to be the mini Kota Minora, he needs to look like Kota Minora, so he should have got the haircut and the whole thing, you know, whatever. Either way, and yeah, it just it speaks to just what you said. Kota Minora is obviously someone that they want to push, but in my mind, I'm like Minorita would be is would be better away from him and doing his own thing because he's very talented. I liked his the brief Bravegate run that he got, like just felt like okay, this is like really cool. And uh, he was getting over and it's like, no, he's just going to continue to be the mini so much so that we're still doing the mini title, which, yes, is is I have I appreciate it, you know, on paper and I appreciate seeing it and everything. But it just it just makes me wonder, like, where, where are you going moving forward um, with it? Um, like I mentioned before Minorita has like a, like a shoot wrestling background sure. or like a like something like that. It's like he's actually kind of legit. So there's yeah. this whole other element to him that we haven't really seen. No, um, I mean, probably never will. I mean, who knows? Maybe, but see, because it feels like with Gold Class, like I'm assuming Diamante is going to go into it. Sure, or Luis as he is now, I think, because um, he took off that mask and he's hot. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that you know, the point of of Gold Class is that it's hot guys. So that seems like the the place to me. And then if you can, you know, put out trios teams that are him, Ben K. Uh, Minora, Minorita, Doi, I guess Hulk, but like that's a that's a very strong lineup for a unit, I think. And then if you do end up having to blow up vibes at some point, maybe Gold Class can't completely take over, but you've got enough combinations in there that I think would help with filling out a card. Um, well, I think that's kind of the problem with vibes. I 
I think they're the best unit in wrestling, but they almost have too many good wrestlers that it sort of takes away from the other groups. Like, you almost need to spread the wealth around a little bit. And, sure. Yeah. Redistribute yeah, can... uh, Jackie Funky Kamei. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, I do look at, like, gold class, though. If you do do something like put Diamante in gold class, it really feels like the, you know, the BB Cannon um, Diamante side of gold class is very much like not in the same stable as the the, the now trios champions here and maybe it's mostly just minorita or not minorita but uh kota minora um but also doi like kota minora and doi don't really feel like they make sense in the unit with the rest of that team if diamante mm. is there so i could definitely see splitting them yeah. off but then again like i said my whole thing is minorita feels like he's going to stay connected to minora and they honestly in a weird way don't make sense together even though he's supposed to be the mini version of him. Like they just, I don't really think that as an act, like it, it's the best for, for either of them to be linked together anymore. And as I said, like this trios, if you could get Minarita back, I guess the idea would just be to have Minarita be a heel and the crowd not like him. Then like this, th this trio is actually kind of makes sense on its own, but with the rest of gold class, that doesn't really fit. Um, I think, I think that's a bit like, uh, what if like Minorita like did a heel turn on Minora? <laughs> <laughs> right. I think I I think that that would be fun, but I think my my big picture issue is that I don't think Minora makes sense as a babyface. Yeah, it's kind he's of not the that reason... likable. Yeah, and like Gold Class feels like it's turning into a babyface unit, so he I, kind of I feels like that, odd man out. I think once Ben K showed up, they started drifting more babyface, and it was like because like. Ben K like got a huge personality boost when he got into the battle rap, um, right. and like so, I, I think he became so charismatic that he kind of forced the group to become baby faces because he was getting right. so popular. Um, I think. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say I think Diamante coming into Gold Class, Gold Class as a unit. You know, as you said, it's about being handsome guys kind of focus on Diamante as like the the star of the group. And that makes Kota Minora feel spited. And then you can explode like a natural vibes and you can do something where like also you have M3K kind of possibly breaking up around the edges with the whole stuff between Mochizuki um, Jr. and Senior and, and Jr. wanting to be his own man. So if you did something where it was like Minora, Mochizuki Jr., maybe like big boss maybe even like kung fu masters jackie and and like J jason lee like a group like that as a heel unit and then you know casey <laughs> casey goes into gold class or something i don't even know but you know what i'm saying like something like that yeah. where kota minora gets spun off into his own heel unit i think could work yeah like there's there's so many pieces to play with and big boss like cut that promo a little while ago at a corkin about like being pissed he was less he was left off the list of the new big six right and kz even tweeted about it as well that like oh it becomes very clear when you're left off of something so maybe that's a thread of kz and big boss like they keep them together as a heel team and you can run kz as the leader of a heel unit and then if you put menorah in there you don't have to put the pressure of being the leader on Minora and you can build up to him. Yeah. 
yeah, I think that, that that's kind of a thing that that works there. Um, and this is all about the triangle gate match, basically, which we do get the title change. Gold class have the titles, but like, again, the trios titles can kind of move around. Um, another title that definitely moves around, and I don't know if you mentioned it all, the Open the Brave Gate match. Um, this is kind of, I think, the epitome of like one of my issues with, and I don't consider you one of these, but like the Dragon Gate freaks, like they love to like, say like talk up both of these guys ishan and jason lee about how great they are but here in like an eight minute match like solid work everything looks good crisp it's performed well but that's it like it's just a lot of well executed wrestling moves and not much of a story and you could say like oh they had less than 10 minutes what are they supposed to do this and that but jason lee i mean commentary doesn't help and i i hate to say this because dragon gate j seems like a good guy i've you know interacted with him online for a long time because of the work that he does uh, kind of getting all the information out there for new Japan to American audiences, but on commentary, sometimes he can be a little bit too ribbon on the square and giving stuff yeah, like too much inside baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And saying like, Oh, you know, the thing about the brave gate title is you can dye this strap, whatever color you want, this and that. And Jason Lee's is just like plain white, like, and trying to play it off on whatever it is, but it just feels like, Jason Lee left it white because he knows that this title reign isn't important and like it doesn't matter he's and he's just going to drop the champion. title quick. Yeah, he's yeah. a transitional champion. He's not that invested and it speaks to like the quality of the match. And when I have hear people say like, oh, Jason Lee might actually be like a top 10 wrestler in the world. Well, then like in a sub 10 minute match, I still want to see something. And it's just again, it speaks to like the people who really get into Dragon Gate, like they just care about like execution. And it is like, you know, that's been the story of Dragon Gate, right? Like, oh, young high flyers go to Dragon Gate and over the years they, you know, they hone their craft and become like just so excellent at executing every little thing perfectly and it all looks so crisp and smooth. And it's like, yeah, sure. And that's a little bit less than it used to be in a lot of ways. They're not really that way anymore. Um, but like, they're not really focusing on the rest of it, <laughs> like the drama, the storytelling, the personality. And so if you're saying like, oh, Jason Lee's a top 10 wrestler in the world or whatever, like you're really overlooking the fact that like, his stuff is kind of dry and yes, he does a lot of cool moves, but that's about it. Um, so yeah. And Ishan, uh, similarly has some, a little bit more personality, but didn't see a ton of it here. Didn't see a ton of charisma and did some cool moves and they looked good. And that was about it. Like that was the whole match. I don't know if you have any other thoughts. I mean, you didn't even bring it up. So yeah, I, Ishan, I think is definitely still a work in progress. Um, and hopefully like he puts together more, like they're going for like a power junior thing with him. Um, we'll see. I, I'd love for them to get back to him and Mochizuki Jr. Um, I think they had like a really fun dynamic there for a while. Um, when Ishin turned heel and joined Zebrats, he like, they held Mochizuki back and then he put Mochizuki Jr. in the Taz mission, um, which is really sick and is, is furthering the agenda of we need to get Hook versus Mochizuki Jr. at some point. Um, but yeah, I, I do love Jason Lee. I, I wouldn't say top 10. I wouldn't say top 20 or anything like that. But I will say, you know, my match of the year last year was uh, Shunin Diamante against him and Jackie. So the stuff that I'm high on in Jason, I when he hits, sure. I think he's great. But I, I do also agree he doesn't always necessarily have the the biggest, like highest like amount of big screen charisma. You know? It's, yeah, and that, he can be I a mean, little subdued. Yeah. In that tag match, I would say like he was the personality wise, he was the number three, like the most yeah. of the underdog selling and the drama was coming from Jackie 
And, you know, then the other side team were pretty equally with Shun and Diamante being like, you know, dominant bruisers who are like just beating the shit out of them. Like, and Jackie was kind of not an afterthought, but he was, you know, the fourth man in the match. So it just kind of, it is like, it speaks to what you're kind of saying there much better. I think much better in a tag team match where he has a partner who can carry the emotion and the drama side of things for him. Yeah. Like there's nothing wrong with being a wrestler better suited to tag matches. Um, and maybe that's what Jason is. Now, I don't know, maybe he'll have a great King of Gate run. I think he's in it, you know, and I there was like, you know, I remember a King of Gate match a couple of years ago that was him and KZ. That was really great. Um, but also that's KZ. So it's if you oh, had I mean, a bad match if you had a bad match with KZ, I would not blame KZ on for it. Um sure. so so we'll we'll see. We'll see. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will do good in the tournament. But again, it'll be a lot of like really good showings of of in ring wrestling, which is, I mean, solid. And then and then the drama of the tournament kind of adding to to the overall drama of the matches, right? Um, Yeah. But yeah, but we'll see. Um, Yamato and and Hiromu. I don't have much to say. I agree. This is the match that I was kind of saying. I think went longer than it needed to, especially like you would expect it's going to be long because of it being a showcase match with the big star in it that drew the house. But like they did not really have much to fill this time with. Um, and again, I thought it kind of disappointed. And to me, like the idea, like a lot of people fantasy booking and and thinking like, oh, we're going to get like a like you said double DQ count out something whatever like so that we can continue on this story because somehow this is a storyline that's been building for a long time and all this like i I just don't see it like i'm better off with this being one and done hiromu just wins and it's over because i don't i did not see a need to want to see these guys go at it more i did not see a need for more drama like nothing and i i thought it was makeup but like the way that jay was talking about both guys look like they had big bags under their eyes and they were tired and all this it's like that did not really sell the match to me like both guys are coming into this match not at 100 percent and not really looking to like have a great match like that did not help with the vibe of the match i don't think um that's but, like uh, like the like a yamato thing right is he puts the makeup under his eyes and it's supposed to look like he's sleepy so like yeah it's hiromu doing yamato's bit um i i definitely heard a lot of reactions in the crowd um and on saw some on twitter that would lead me to believe it was very popular with certain segments of the fan base sure, as a look sure, for sure. Hiromu. Um but yeah, I again I I think these are two guys who could probably do something better than what this match was. But also like I this you know this match wasn't there to be like the match of the year. This match was there to say we have Hiromu on the show and we're putting him yeah. in against someone important enough in the company that it it matters, even if it doesn't really matter. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. You're giving him someone who can lose and will it won't affect them. It's someone yeah. who it could be like it's special. Again, like I said, there's somehow they're working angles online on Twitter and that drama's good. It's like, oh, okay, when Yamato is doing work shoot angles on Twitter, it's good. But you know, when uh, Joey Janela and Drew Cordero are doing it, it's bad, right? Okay, okay, I see how you are, internet. Um, <laughs> either way, uh, I guess we can get into the main events. Um, Want to give me your thoughts on the open the Dreamgate match here? Uh, Madoka Kakura defending against Yoshiyuki Oka. Yeah, um, I didn't think it was bad, but this might have actually been the thing that disappointed me most on the card. Um, and I thought it was a, a very good match, but I think like these guys on the right night, I think could really knock it out of the park. 
and they had enough time. They had over 20 minutes. Um, maybe that's the build where, you know, they're both still faces and in the same unit. And maybe the match would be better if one of them had leaned more heel or maybe a rematch would be better after a heel turn from one of them. Um, but yeah, like I thought, I thought like a lot of the work was good, but I was very high on like Yuki Yoshioka's Dreamgate run. And I would have said like, if this match happened in that reign, it would have been the worst match of the reign. Yeah. I, uh, I somewhat agree with you in, in a lot of that. Um, this felt <laughs> talking about T-Hawk being, we have Ronnie at home. This, you know what this felt like was like, uh, to me, it felt like Shingo versus Yamato at home, right? Um, these two guys really feel to me very similar and they're doing, obviously they're doing hearkening back to the, the original big six with this group of guys. And I just, I think after the Shingo Kakuda interactions in the tag, he's really felt like he's channeling kind of a, a Shingo vibe. And this was the first time I've ever thought of that with Yoshioka and Yamato. And it's funny because, you know, they did have a match and yeah, Yamato is still here in the company being one of the only one in the big six, but the way that he went after the legs. And as you talked about, like working that over, doing some technical stuff that you don't necessarily see as much in a Dragon Gate setting, um, stuff like holding the an, an ankle pick for a, for, for a count where the referee kind of didn't even start counting quickly because he didn't expect something like that because, you know, these guys are friends and this is a title match and there's no reason why he would do something like that. Right. Um, where, yeah, like it would have been better if Yoshioka had worked heel, <laughs> like really gone full yeah. bore with the heel thing. I, I agree. And I understand like decourages the big thing in the company at the minute. So, you know, maybe they don't probably don't want to rock that too much, but if like, in two months' time, if 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 Yuki Yoshioka turned heel and was like a mean, vicious heel, and they did this match again, um, I I think it would be much better. Um, I also I liked I remember at one point a, a while ago on commentary they said Yuki Yoshioka is a big Hiroshi Tanahashi fan, and they're from the same town. And then you, you watch this match, and it's he does leg work, he does a frog splash, and Kikuda gets the knees up, but it hurts his knees because of the legwork. And it's like, all right, I can I can yeah. see the brain. Yeah, I can see the fandom here. Yeah, you can really you can definitely really see it there. But yeah, I mean I really enjoyed a lot of that. Um I yeah, I liked Kikuda. It's very interesting. You know, they're pushing up that he's the youngest champion, the fastest champion, and he just really still does have like a, a big baby face, like like literal baby face. Um, and, uh, and it just like having him muscle back up kind of not completely shit can the leg, but doesn't sell it that much through the closing stretch, um, hits a lot of, you know, big bombs over and over again. Um, and you could argue that like that plays somewhat off of the legwork. I think that this was probably where I talked about Jay, my issues with Jay, this was where Jay did the best job on commentary of kind of selling over that, the, that base being weakened and that kind of makes it so that a, a lot of the big bombs from Kikura are not landing as strong as they could have. Um, he didn't really beat it that over the head, but he did make a couple points that made that kind of clear. Um, so it did make it kind of make sense because just looking at it on paper and the situation, it does feel like how is Yoshioka taking this much of an onslaught from Kikura, who's much larger and been presented as more of a wreck house, fiery babyface type. 
Whereas Yoshioka has never been presented as a super tough guy. Even during his Dreamgate title run, he was a lot more finesse and speed and all that. So um appreciated that little bit of detail to the match. Um, first title defense for Kikuda, not setting the rain off to like a great, great start, but not also not like completely shitting the bed. And then you get the post-match promo. You've got the large crowd there. They're all into it. They're kind of listening to him. They're into what he has to say. You know what I mean? They're behind him. So talked about it. Decourage is a big deal for the company. Um, clearly, it's not a failure. It just, it's it's shaky and it's weak to me, but it feels, you know, I hate to, you know, echo points that I've heard from, from people that I don't necessarily agree with where they're coming from on the stuff, but just it's kind of, I think, that just the Dragon Gate thing right now, that it's just not the same company it's been in the past. It doesn't have the same vibrancy. It doesn't have the same thing. But you've got a fan base, especially in Japan, who are still just as strongly behind the company to where I feel like it's definitely, it's being very disingenuous to say like, oh, they just don't have stars anymore. Um, and that's why nothing feels as big because they do have stars. It's just it's just not speaking to you because the stars aren't connecting to you as much. And that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I'm honestly just the the new guys aren't connecting to me personally as well. But that's not to say that they're not stars because they're getting over. They're drawing big houses and the crowd is getting into them. So, you know, they definitely are making stars. I'm, there just hasn't translated to a casual Western audience yet. Like that is the furthest thing from their minds. If they're a good wrestling company, if you believe that Dragon Gate is a good wrestling company, then you should accept that they're not trying to service casual Western fans, right? Like that should definitely be the furthest thing from their mind on what they're trying to cater their company to. Um, right. Like, and a lot had... of those, like those, those thoughts I think would be thought of like, they dropped another like big mania weekend six man. But if you're Dragon Gate, like clearly that's not a priority at the minute. Building the Western fan base again. Right. Um, and maybe it'll get there in time, hopefully, as word spreads. Um, I do also think there was like it's sort of bad optics. Um, the Dream Gate match not being the main event after Kyokuda cut that promo before about them being the new big six. And then the main event is a, of the biggest show of the year is a match with Old Dragon in it. Yeah. And and obviously yeah. there's like logistics of the cage match for why it needs to go on last, but maybe at that point don't book the cage match for this show, book it for the next big show. Um Well Yeah. I mean, I get it because you want to do the big show and you want to do the big cage match and all that stuff, but you just had Dead or Alive that people think of as the cage match show without a cage match, and then you follow it up with this on here. You know, I mean I guess I get Bookward, it. But, yeah. 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 Like it yeah, like it's it's awkward timing. Um, because you know, it's like maybe the match the guys would have had would have been better if it did go on last. Um, but it does feel a little harsh that, you know, again they were saying like we're a new big generation, then they don't close out the show. Um, which is but also like that main event had Shun in it. It had Strong Machine J. I think like Diamante you could think of as being sort of adjacent to that group. Right. Assuming he stays in the company long term. So, um, you know, it's not like there wasn't presence in the main event as well. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You've just got Ultimo and Dragon Kid as kind of the only older generation people here in the main event. So you do go like, okay, well, you're not you're not setting it up to where the main event is actually like, you know, the old generation and the young guys aren't main eventers necessarily, but, and especially because the, the final blow off and the main thing here is the, 
is Shun and Diamante, which are definitely, I mean, Diamante is definitely older than you even realize and has been wrestling for a long time as they talked about there. But at the same time, you know, he's, I think thought of in Dragon Gate as a younger guy, um, you know, a younger star, whatever. Um, it's so funny that the, the, the way that this stuff works, it's similar to like the, um, like the, you know, the tournament, I think there's one going on right now, like a mask tournament. Um, and they did one a couple of years ago where the main event was one of the Vianos and, and Penta, um, where it's like the losers are kind of the focus because they move on into finally when the, the loser, the, the biggest loser loses their mask or whatever. Um, it's kind of funny because, yeah, the, the, as I talked about, the finish of this match ends up with Shun and Diamante. And you can really look at them in the context of this match is actually the loser and the runner up loser. Um, but they're the main focus and the drama and the payoff and the finish of the match. And that is just something that's so funny about this kind of match and like the, the, the psychology of it. Like when you really look at it, the winner of this match is Ultimo Dragon. He was the first one to get his mask. He's the first one to get out of there. He, you know, he got the least punishment done on him, all that. Um, but like when it really comes down to it in the record books or you're not the record books, but like when you have the feeling of the match at the end of it, like you don't really think of him as the winner, the biggest focus of the match. Right. He was kind of an afterthought in a way. Um, so that is it's just like it's showered odd. and changed when he came back out. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm like from like the merch table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess breaking it down, I thought that. It was an awkward dynamic because you really had like two and two and then strong machine J um, for the opening. Uh, basically, you had like two teams and then one, a, a fifth guy. But then when, you know, when Ultimate Dragon does get out and then Zebrats put in all the weapons, it does turn more into like just a heel team taking advantage of the numbers game. So it does make sense. Um, and, and also it felt kind of like a big deal to me when Strong Machine J, like, lariated Dragon Kid. Because it was, like, him being, like, like no, like, I'm my own person, right? Like, right. I was so scared watching this match, watching Ultimo climb that cage. <laughs> I I was, oh, I was, like, he can't go over. Surely, surely he can't. Right, um, right. Thankfully, they didn't. They had him go through the door, which let Zebrats drop in the weapons. So, like, that was nice booking. But yeah, I yeah, think yeah. yeah, and also I think it makes sense to get Ultimo out first, like obviously because he he can't go as as well as the other guys. Um, but also, out of everyone in the match, he's like he's the least likely to lose his mask. So if he was, you know, you know, in the final two, there'd be no drama because you know Ultimo Dragon isn't losing his mask here, um, right? So I, I think like they were sensible as well in the order of eliminations in terms of who was like, okay, we know Ultimo is not going to lose his mask, so let's get him out. Dragon Kid is very unlikely to lose his mask, especially in this match. So let's get him out as well. And then we've got three people, and two of them you could talk your way into um, losing. And then Shun is maybe a dark horse. Um, although I, I remember like young boy Shun Skywalker and I, it might be bad best for everyone if he leaves the mask on yes um yeah, yeah. and I think but, I mean you should probably call him a dark goat rather than a dark horse because of his his name his weird the noises yeah yeah um but yeah no I mean yeah it was sensible booking all of it worked I thought I mean maybe like one or only little detail 
that I may have, but I mean, I guess it just, it's the way that it worked, but maybe would have had like, uh, I guess there's no way to really do it. So I guess it just, yeah, it just, it made sense the way that it was, but just strong machine J overcoming kind of both of them. Um, but I, I guess you did need to have Diamante and Shun as the last two. And there's really no other way to get around that. Um, yeah. If, if it comes down to Diamante and strong machine J, um, which would make sense in the sense in, in the way that I think everyone assumed they were the two most likely to lose their, their masks. Right. One of those right. two guys was unmasking. Um, and I and I assumed it would be Diamante because everyone always said he was really hot underneath, and that's that's how you figure out who's going to lose the mask versus mask match. Because right. um, of I believe well, who needs the money machine... the most. If it's in yeah. Mexico, it's who needs the money the most, and then yeah. And I, in Japan, I don't know it's who what's... looks the best without a mask. Yeah, because like I don't know what Strong Machine J looks like, but I have to imagine if he was really handsome, he'd be in New Japan. Um, Fair, yeah, yeah, right. Because he'd have the connections, but anyway, yeah. anyway, um, yeah, like if if it came down to Strong Machine J and Diamante, Diamante wouldn't have gotten such an outpouring of support from the crowd at the end. He got right. part of the reason is because people felt sorry for him and that he was betrayed by Shun after already giving up his opportunity to escape to help Shun. Um, when it looked like, um. Shun was going to uh, be struggling, like he is nearly about to get his mask, but he comes back down to help Skywalker. And then when it comes down to just the two of them, Skywalker tells him to go ahead and get his mask and he'll sacrifice. But then, like Jay said, he's a fucking snake. Um, yeah. And attacks Diamante. And then, in a really great touch and like one of the cruelest things I've seen in a while in a wrestling match tying Diamante's mask to the ropes so that for him to be able to escape, he would have to unmask. And also, now he's stuck and has to watch Shun climb up and get his own mask. Um, That was just, like, next-level heel stuff to me. So, yeah. yeah. Like, again, like, booking in this match, like, so many different bits and pieces I thought fit really, really well in. It wasn't as wacky as some other Dragon Gate uh, cage matches in the past, which is a bit of a shame because I do like the novelty of people throwing like uh, like party streamers or like footballs at each other <laughs> or like yeah. the air horns, you know? I or think the zombie, that stuff is... yeah, the zombie like, boxer, Mochizuki. Yeah, like all that stuff I think is can be really, really fun. Um, and they, they played this much more straight. Um, but I think it made sense for the match that it was. Um, and I again, I... I like with the Hayato match, like I, I, it would not surprise me if this ends up being on my match of the year list somehow. It's a little hard to rate relative to other matches because of the nature of it, but in terms of what was attempted and what the end result was and if that succeeded, um, this felt like such a huge success to me. Like Diamante was getting those 2000s Kenta pops, you know? Um, from the crowd, like yeah. So it felt like they really made him. They it felt like a big deal for Strong Machine J. Um, not quite as much maybe as as it could have been, but he got something out of it. I think it really reinforced how awful a person Shun Skywalker is. And when you think of the breakup of Masquerade, it reinforces that character as 
this guy who presents himself as an ally to people, but will turn on them as soon as it suits him. So, yeah, this was, I think, like, overall, like, one of the best things I'd seen done in wrestling this year. Yeah, this is so, you know, all the people who are loving to say that the bloodline is cinema and all this stuff and, and that meme, like, this I is know. really, <laughs> this is wrestling as cinema, really. This is the real drama. This is how you do it, right? You don't need to talk in the ring and fucking do these overwrought promos and all that, like, just the part, as you mentioned, when Shun is getting stopped and Diamante just gestures over and kind of has this, like, like, he just exasperated look as he, like, gestures towards, like, ah, fuck like i can't just go i have to go stop you know the leader of yeah you, he from... has to save his boy right yeah um yeah and that's the drama right there and that's all you need you don't need him to then like look in the camera and say oh no i'm not going to be able to get my mask i have to go save you know he just gestures makes it make sense in the moment you get it that's enough that's the drama that's the cinema and again you get it throughout this when i was talking about kind of the final two thing like that's my you mentioned it there with strong machine not feeling like he got as much as he could have. And that's why I'm just like, I would love to have figured out a way to have the final two be Diamante and strong machine, because then it would feel more like strong machine got something out of it. It just be very difficult because I could see something where Shun gets his mask, you know, Diamante basically had to help him be able to get his mask. And then Shun stays in the ring with, you know, with strong machine and Diamante to help beat down strong machine. So that then like he has to still overcome both of them. But Shun's already out of the match, so that when Strong Machine gets his mask, basically Diamante lead, loses, right? But then, yeah, like you don't get the extra drama of Shun turning and being a snake and all of that stuff, and you kind of need that. Um, but it just, it's, I mean, it's, it's smart in that like the focus is Shun. Shun is like realistically, Shun is your you know biggest star. Kikuda, whoever's the champion when it's not Shun. It's kind of like it's the baby face of the moment, but Shun really is the biggest star in the company now. Um, and so he should be the focus. So coming out of it, putting more heat on him, and you've got Diamante now as someone that he can wrestle, you know, have a, a great program with. It does it does make sense. It's perfect for for doing that. Um, you know, it just, yeah, it, it was executed perfectly. And like I said, I would just love to have figured out a way to have strong machine get a little bit more coming out of this because he does feel like a guy that should do something. Um, and he just feels a little bit like an afterthought because of not being in the final two. Um, but it's the only way to really do this story. And, 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 and coming out of it, the focus is Diamante and June. So it's fine that he didn't get more focus on him than he could have. Um, that said, I love just like you talked about tying the mask, all that. The post-match thing I think was great. And Jay doing the translation so people actually get it. <laughs> you know, you know me, yeah. Damon. You listen, you listen to the show. I hear other people and their take on stuff and they just don't even they're just like completely overlooking the details of this that actually are what make it great. And Jay literally translated it in the commentary and said what it was was Shun was not saying like, oh, fuck you. I'm a snake. haha, I can't believe. No, what Shun was saying was you disappointed me. You yeah. fucked up. You need to apologize to me. Uh, you know, you're the weak link. But he was not like even the crazy thing about the psychopath, the fucking just complete self-centered freak that Shun is. He wasn't even saying like, you're out of the group. He wasn't even saying like, I turned on you and I hate you. He was saying like, you're still in in Zebrats and you need to apologize to me because I'm the leader um, because you messed up and you made me have to do that to you because you let Strong Machine get out. And what were you even thinking? 
And that's like, it's so perfect because it just speaks to, again, like how much of a fucking freak and psychopath this guy is that like, he doesn't even, he, he kind of doesn't even get like, well, why would Diamante even really be mad at me? Because he's the one who messed up. And like, yeah, that just, it really, it speaks to how crazy he is. Go ahead. No, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's like, if this was MJF, right? You, you'd get like such a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm the devil. I'm this, I'm that. And like the, the heel work Shun has been doing the last like two years is so much more like interesting and compelling of this person who feels like he's completely justified. is not doing anything wrong and is like gaslighting the people around him are trying to. Um, it reminds me a lot of um, to go back to him. Like last year there, there was the storyline with Jason Lee where uh, it was before Jason joined natural vibes and Shun was trying to get him to like join Natural Vi or get try to get him to join Zebrats and telling him that like nobody else like wants you. You need me to be successful. And like subtext is not something that is like wrestling's really great at a lot, but it it felt like that storyline was like it worked for me as this like metaphor for depression. Um and listen, you know, I'm a man in my 30s uh, on the internet a lot. I have mental health issues. Um, and that uh, that program felt in some ways like one of the best approximations of like a mental health crisis I've seen in pro wrestling because you have Shun uh, talking to Jason uh, telling him that like, oh, nobody loves you, nobody likes you, no one wants you in their stable. And while he's doing that, you have like three other stables standing around him, like natural vibes and high end being like, no, dude, we think you're sick. Like, we think you're a really good wrestler. We want you to join, like, our team, and we're all going to compete and try to get you because we all want you. So you have Shun, like... And it's like when you're depressed, right? And your mind is, like, trying to find these negative things to tell you that, you know, if you were, like, thinking of in, like, a different headspace, you would recognize as not being true. But in the moment when you're in it, you're, you know your brain will just find ways to be mean and cruel to you. And that felt like what Shun was to Jason, where he was this figure clearly lying to him in ways that were like, like obviously not true, but it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It matters if Jason believes it. And, you know, it's, it's pro wrestling. So he's, you know, the, the baby face like turned good at the end. So it was fine. Yeah, but it felt like a little bit like that. It felt, you know, like mental health. It worked out, and it works out in the end. That's how it always goes. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it it's it's the same here a little bit, right? It's like him being almost abusive, right? This is, you know, I did this terrible thing to you, and then it's, well, why did you make me do it? You know, or like, or like, yeah. this is it's your fault. I did this to you, um, and it's such a great bit for a pro wrestler of like okay here's how do you really present yourself as like an awful character who's not a cool heel it's just like this monster who you want to see stopped and even if he's not the champion anymore like still feel he still feels like a monster and um i i expect all this nuance to carry over to, to like the gcw shows he's working yeah, uh, exactly. of course yeah but yeah well like, June rules to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really speaks to even just like his presentation, like <laughs> the noises are weird, whatever it is, what it is, but like it is other, it's like 
it is otherworldly. It is like very unique and does not make sense in the context of wrestling. It's just so weird. Um, but uh, but like the way that he's just this black void, no face, all black, black mask, no expression, really. You know, you see the bottom of his mouth and he makes some weird faces here and there. But as you talk about it, like him being a stand in for, you know, the the depths and the darkness of like depression or mental health issues and stuff. And he's just this dark void speaking to you in this like negative way, that, like you said, is or isn't true, but it doesn't matter because it's not going to help you to truly like follow down that path, but you can't help it. And like, it is kind of perfect in that way. And yes, of course that, you know, him, him and GCW will, will continue to have that much. De- I mean, fuck, you know, yeah, the right? craziest. I <laughs> yeah, mean, but... I, I mean, like, you know, I get, I feel depressed watching GCW sometimes. So in, in a lot of ways it does. Huh. <laughs> he's the perfect, uh, yeah, he's the perfect to stand in for the GCW overall vibe, basically. Um, well, I guess. Any more final thoughts on Kobe World? We mentioned Diamante. My okay, so my thing is don't I don't think Diamante's bad looking by any stretch of the imagination, but I just felt like it was kind of over it was kind of over uh yeah. talked about that oh he's just this very, very handsome guy, and then you know it's just gonna be very difficult to live up to those expectations, unfortunately. Um, when he does unmask. And I think like the same thing kind of happened with Dr. Wagner, like they kind of put up like, oh, he's so handsome, he's so handsome, and he actually kind of is like uh he has a very particularly silver fox, yeah yeah silver fox look that works um you know but uh but yeah it was uh the next, definitely the next, emotional oh go ahead yeah the next big one is going to be bandito right i feel like i was sure. a lot of folks that oh bandito is really hot without the mask yeah um so we'll we'll, we'll see. see that'll be we'll be on bandito watch now <laughs> yeah when he loses like i can't imagine who would pay him enough money to drop the mask though really um mm. Unless they did something where he went back to Dragon Gate, but I don't know, you know. And even then, I don't think Dragon Gate would have the money to pay him much, um, right? Like Ultimo's not losing, never going to lose his mask in Dragon Gate because they're not going to pay that much, right? And especially right now, when we talked about it, the, the the yen is not that strong, and that's why, again, the units are small, and the wrestlers who go on excursion don't come back because they make more money in Mexico. I talked about it with the uh, Utani earlier and stuff. It's like right now, if you're a Japanese wrestler. And you're, you know, we mentioned it a little bit on the last podcast too. Like Japanese wrestlers need to like figure out like side hustles and work for the company doing something other than just wrestling to really like put it together to where they make a living off of this. Um, If you're making, you know, with the transition rate, you're making so much more by wrestling in North America. It's kind of hard to, uh, to argue with that right now. Yeah. And even just there's always the thing, right. Of like young boy dojo life. And then, you know, so that means like you're going to be like an in shape young guy going to America or to Mexico, probably getting to do a lot of other things you weren't able to do before. Right. Um, there's a life experiences. So like that, there's an element of that to it as well. And in Dragon Gate in particular, like Dragon Gate is not owned by like a major corporation, like some of the other companies. Um, so I don't, I don't know what the money is like, but I, I can't imagine it's amazing. Um, right. You know, if 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 I heard like a top tier U.S. indie wrestler made more than like mid card or up mid card Dragon Gate, like I don't think it would shock me. No, me me neither. And even then, still a lot of the top tier indie wrestlers still have to have you know another job outside of wrestling at this point still too. So yeah, I mean it's it's not really a secret. A lot of the Dragon Gate guys, the ones who like make this their full time gig, is just wrestling 
it's they also work in the office in Dragon Gate. They have another job. They do other parts of like the business as well. They don't just wrestle. So it is kind of it is what it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, anyways, I, I think I derailed saying final thoughts. Anything else you want to talk about? Like 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 we both said, easy to watch kind of goes by without a problem. Storylines, booking is weird, but some of it makes sense. Some of it doesn't feel like it's hitting as well as it could, blah, 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 all that. But I think the biggest negative, the biggest like kind of head scratching takeaway is just like not necessarily that the show wasn't quality, but just to say like this was Kobe World and Kobe World historically has felt really, really important. And this, aside from the final thing that we get in the main event, nothing else really felt like super important. This is Kobe world. And that's kind of, I think the biggest negative that I could point at, at the entire show. It is. I don't know if calling it a one match show too harsh, but it's, it's in that territory to me of when you're considering this is the biggest show of the year. Um, and, you know, even looking at the card on paper, you would see there's a lot of stuff on here that could be really good. And some of it was sort of fine. But the main event was great enough to kind of carry the rest of it. Um, so, like, if people haven't watched it and are curious, um, I'm not sure how much you would get out of the main event without a lot of context and build-up, but I think if you went to the cult, you'd probably pick up the story threads pretty quickly. And obviously they, they do a good job explaining all that on commentary. Um, and then, you know, if you if you poked around on the undercard a bit, I think you'd find one or two things you liked as well. Yeah, I just, I think the only issue, and, you know, the main event has other strong suits to it that make it work for the drama and the storyline and all the other stuff you said. But I think the only issue that I could point to is just to look at, like, the two main events on the uh, Strong in Japan shows, the NJPW Strong in Japan shows, um, with just those being like death matches, delivering crazy chaotic weapons and brawling and blood and everything. And you compare that to this and like without the wackiness of the outside stuff going on, it does feel in some ways that you're presenting me a straight up cage match that's like an Apuestas match, but You've got mask ripping, weapons, all this stuff inside the cage, and you're not really comparing anywhere near the kind of violence and viscera of the two big matches that you just saw in Japan from the other company that kind of fit that same role. So again, like maybe it's not fair to compare them, but when you took away kind of the other parts of this and you kind of stripped this down to where it felt like it was meant to be more of a violent kind of cage match, which is not what Dragon Gate is known for. Um, it doesn't, you know, live up to that same comparison, unfortunately. So I do think that like there is a tough side of that where someone who's not a Dragon Gate fan might look at this and be disappointed in that regard too, because you're just not really seeing the same level of violence that you get in other places. Yeah, it's not it's not if you're going into it thinking you're gonna get like like Magnum to like Tully Blanchard or something like that. Like it's not it's not yeah. like that for sure. Um what I'm what I'm hearing though is that uh, June Kasai should be in gold class. Hey, I'm not going to argue with that. He's very handsome, crazy monkey, exactly. perfect, uh, perfect fit. Um, yeah. Well, Amen, thank you so much for coming on. I don't know if you have anything you want to recommend or plug or whatever before you go. Feel free. Um, yeah, it was a pleasure um, having you. 
Um, I talked a lot about like the wrestling I've watched this week, um, and we touched on it there a little bit, and I'm, I'm sure you'll talk about it more with Quentin next week, but um, those New Japan Strong shows in Corkin were fucking sick. Um, everyone should watch those. Um, that stuff was really great. Um, I don't do any podcasts or blogs. Um, I'm too lazy. Is the is the cold hard fact that I realized about myself is that I don't have the ability to stick with it. Um, but I am very grateful then when people are kind and generous enough to bring me onto things. Um, so if you do want to hear me talk more about wrestling, um. I want to shout out again the Must See Matches podcast. Um, we mentioned those guys at the start. Kieran and Mark do huge, huge amounts of work uh, putting that podcast together. It's great every week. Um, I've been on it a few times uh, when I can bully my way on or pressure my way on in group chats to them. Um, I've done episodes on Umaga, John Cena, Funk Onita, uh, The Dragon Gate Six Man, Shingo versus Mochizuki. Um, and most recently, and probably the favorite one I've done, I did a Necro Butcher versus Samoa Joe. Yes, which God, we could we could talk for another hour about how great that match is. Um, <laughs> but and we'll, we can have like a nice like long debate about that versus Necro Super Dragon. Um, but if you want something, if you do want something with a huge sense of violence, um, yeah. definitely that match is is one to is one to check out. Um, and besides me. If I'm not enough, those guys have plenty of other great guests on that show. Like in terms of like people that listen to this podcast would know, like um, Joseph Montesillo has been on that podcast, I believe. I think I think Daniel McCabe did an episode of it. I'd have to double check. I believe so, yeah. Um, yeah. So like, there's lots of people in those spheres who are on that show, um, and there's a great variety of matches. There's like indies, new gen. There's a lot of Joshi, like classic Joshi. They just did some FMW, so again, would really, really uh, recommend that podcast and the work those guys do. It's a really great excuse as well to go back and visit some old matches, um, or maybe matches you haven't seen before. So yeah, yes. uh, that's my plug for the guys. Yeah, and uh, yeah, well, thank you so much, and everyone can uh, you know check out uh, Twitter um, for the podcast network at uh, WDK, WDKPN. Um, and you can check out our Ko-Fi link there um, to donate to the podcast. And I will steal Quentin's gimmick and say to fund our trip to go watch Shun get completely wasted in GCW. Uh, thank you for listening, and I hope you are here next time.